I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Joining me today in studio is senior editor Julia Kramer. Hi, Adam. And deputy editor Andrew Knowlton. Hey, Adam. <laughs> hey, Andrew. I'm ready. All right. Now, why, why are these two people here on the 36th floor of the Bon Appetit offices? Well... Because A, you work here, and B, because you guys put together the Hot 10, Bon Appetit's annual list of the best new restaurants in America, which we announce and celebrate in our September issue, which is on stands now. The question, though, is like, well, how does this whole thing come together? How do we make the Hot 10? How do we build it? Um, And Nolan, I'm just going to start off with you. How much weight did you gain while reporting the story? I'd say I usually put on about 10 to 15 pounds, 10, I'd say 10 pounds starting in like January, February through May. So we tried to basically May 2014 to May 2015 was kind of our rough year. That's what a new restaurant is. It has Uh, to have opened within that window. Within that window. But you do most of your reporting, correct, guys, in that sort of January to May window. So you kind of get, you're like those guys that wait till like 11 p.m. the night before a paper is due to do all your writing. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you're actually the organized one, Kramer. Is that fair to say? Uh, I'm subject to Andrew's whims. <laughs> she started off organized. And- <laughs> All right. So, Kramer, I'm, I'm going to ask you some questions because Knowlton's been in this magazine for like 17 years, like <laughs> literally. Um, we've been doing the Hot 10 intensively for four years now where we dedicate the entire issue to it. Um, this is your first year on board sort of collaborating with Andrew and, and reporting. What was the experience like and was it awesome to go out and eat all these restaurants or was it was it a bit challenging? When I think about researching the Hot 10, I think about lying in the bed of my Dallas hotel room after I'd been out to three dinners and two bars with some guy who was a friend of Andrew's who he told me to go out with. And I had a cold and every time I kept having to fly places to research and so I couldn't kick this cold. And I hadn't, I'd been to a lot of really good restaurants and I went to some good places in Dallas, but I hadn't found anything like truly amazing and I just woke up and I just cried (laughs) (laughs) you woke up like that morning or like that morning after like you know just tearing apart Dallas the night before you know going to so many places I rode on some guy's motorcycle it was like an amazing night (laughs) Wait, wait, wait 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 all right wait wait all right you rode on some guy's motorcycle yeah well so one of the funny things about that I never expected about doing this research is the people that you meet. So I was a restaurant critic in Chicago for five years. That's At Time Out Chicago. Correct. So, you know, I thought that I had some good experience with going out to eat a lot, which I did all the time in Chicago. That was nothing. Everyone's always like, oh, food critic, that's the best job. Whoa, I want to do that. Like, that's so awesome. Like, but it's, it's, it, it's not easy, correct? And give, give, give me some examples. You're coming into a city And you only have one or two nights there. And Andrew and I have an advantage because, A, we get to travel to all these cities, which is awesome. B, this year there were two of us. So if we found anything that was exciting, the other one could go back and check it out for a second time. And usually, just just to jump in for the listener's sake, you guys have sort of vetted these restaurants even before you get there. You call your friends and contacts in these various cities. You're reading online blogs. You kind of know who the sort of that what who, what who people are chatting chattering about right that's when people always ask me how do you find these places yeah. and i'm like that's literally our job all right back to the guy on the motorcycle <laughs> it was super fun but it's like extreme dining 
because you're you go to one restaurant you really enjoy it you have a nice meal you think this is great and then you realize oh i have to go to another restaurant after this let's get to the hot 10 i'm going to run down the 10 award winners and you guys are each one of the two of you is going to give me a sort of a quick bio on 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 each place all right okay all right coming in at number 10 from the great city of Indianapolis, Indiana, Milk Tooth, which I love that name, but what the hell is Milk Tooth? Milk Tooth is the restaurant that convinced Andrew that he likes brunch. Wow. How? And what? what how? How'd that happen? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I hate brunch. Kramer came back from Indianapolis and said that there was this great brunch place that was doing kind of interesting Japanese kind of world stuff. Uh, and but the thing that she really loved was all the baked goods uh, from the pastry chef there. So this is a breakfast, lunch place, brunch. It's packed all the time. Literally just seven a.m. to three p.m. That's, that's it. Um, and just not just beyond your kind of eggs Benedict, beyond the pancakes and waffles. Um, and everyone's happy to be there. It's not like this place where the waiters are miserable and there's a bunch of people just wanting free mimosas, you know? Yeah. It feels like that's this is the reason they exist. It's not a half-assed or afterthought yeah, for it's, them. It's great creative cooking, cool drinks program. Great drinks. All right, number nine, Manolin in Seattle, Washington. So totally unexpected. I went to Seattle hoping for another restaurant. Didn't really pan out, which happens. Uh, but on my last night, I was like, screw it. I'll go to this place. It had gotten kind of mixed reviews from some friends and, and some press, but I was kind of blown away. It's, uh, a trio of people who used to work with Renee Erickson, who owned some of my favorite restaurants, not only in Seattle, but the, the planet, uh, Walrus and the Carpenter, um, which was on our top 10 list a couple of years ago. And then also the whale wins. Yep. So they have learned from the master and have, have, have run with it. Like her, they focus on seafood, um, halibut and oysters, but they give it a different twist. It's got slightly, I know it sounds weird, but a Caribbean kind of slant to mm -hmm. it kind of, but this is just like another one of those funky places, U-shaped bars, which were big this year. Like all these on the list, I think the number one criteria for us is just passionate people doing what they love. All right, number eight, Rintaro in San Francisco. San Francisco has had a amazing year uh, for restaurants. There, I probably could have come up with a top ten just in San Francisco. Is that good? Yeah, and our we we announced our fifty nominees for the best new restaurants uh, online. We announced it in, on August third. And how many restaurants were some? The most of any city, which, which was six. Yeah, that's which impressive. is which is a lot for yeah, you know, for one city. Um, so Rintaro is. Uh, Sylvan Brackett, who um, used to work at Chez Panisse for quite a long time, uh, born in Japan, um, his mother's Japanese, and kind of always had this dream to open up an izakai, which is basically like a Japanese pub. Um, his father built the pretty much the entire restaurant uh, by hand. You know, the bar was sitting in their backyard since 1970 or something like that. The walls are made from mud. Wait, what? Explain the bar. Well, it's a cedar bar, like, a yeah. you know, one piece of wood. And, and it was killed. They, they say killed. It was, it fell in 1907. And then, and then he got it in 1970, uh, Sylvan's father. And it had just been sitting back in the backyard waiting kind of for this restaurant. So when we say in the story, like this restaurant 
was 100 years in the making. It's true. Very cool. Very cool. Like so many Americans, we think sushi when we think yeah, Japanese food. Definitely. This is not sushi. This is nope. yeah, more robust and lustful and, and, and delicious. Um, all right. Number seven. I love this one. I want to go here. <laughs> um, from the home of the well, I don't want to say the home, but the alma mater of the NBA MVP, Steph Curry, in Davidson College, Davidson, North Carolina, the restaurant Kindred. I love this place, too. This is a really kind of quintessential small town restaurant that exceeds all of your expectations. Um, the chef's the chef is Joe Kindred and perfect last name for a family run restaurant. <laughs> and he and his wife, Katie and their two adorable kids, you can see photos of them in the issue and online, um, move back to Joe's hometown, which is very close to Davidson, North Carolina. From San Francisco. Right. They were all over. They met in Chicago. Um, They were both working at True, I think. And then they were working at Quince in San Francisco. Very well-respected restaurant, great wine program, beautiful food. Right. And you see a lot of that reflected in what they're doing at Kindred. I mean, the pastas that Joe is making at Kindred are, you know, some of the best that you would find anywhere, like, let alone in this town of 11,000 people. Yeah. I think, I think that's fascinating where you have these chefs who are, who are so talented and skilled and have gone sort of left home and, and look, sort of honed their craft and are now coming back and bringing this really refined, beautiful food to these towns that normally never would have had it. And also nowadays they have access to such good ingredients because you can get great ingredients anywhere these days, it seems. All right. Number six. Austin, Texas, because I feel like we always have a restaurant from Austin, Texas, but that's because they've got great restaurants. they got a lot going on. A lot happening. Daidue. Oh, you pronounced it right. Uh, yes, I like my <laughs> Italian. So Jesse Griffiths used to own a um, supper club, uh, opened a farmer's marketplace where he was doing a lot of meat, like a lot of um, venison and, and wild boar. Um, and then he opened his brick and mortar place, which is a butcher shop in the front. And then all that meat that they serve kind of that they butcher there, he cooks it over live fire. It's kind of like real Texas cooking. You know, there is Texas cuisine beyond Tex-Mex and barbecue. And this is it. Most of the ingredients come within 200 miles. We focused in this story on his favorite protein, which is not beef uh, or lamb or what you might think it's chicken. Uh, so we kind of broke down all his like tips and tricks, what he does with chicken. All right, number five, Parachute in Chicago. Even if I weren't from Chicago, I would say this is a very special restaurant with a husband and wife pair who are the chefs. Lots of husband and wife teams. Yeah, a lot. Um, Who are doing their spin on Korean food, but even that is not really the full description of what they're doing. It's just incredibly um, creative and sort of understanding of how flavors work together um, that could it sort of transcends any sort of easy definition by cuisine type. You can't yeah. just say it's Korean. This is modern American cooking is what this yeah, is. with and, an Asian spin. And I was there yeah. last year with you guys and just a really fun restaurant also, very lively sort There's of fun place. And two a, things you have to order is the bibimbap, which is kind of the Korean bowl that has various proteins on top. Of um, rice. Of rice. And then the bing bread, yeah. which is basically a deconstructed baked potato. Uh but in bread form. It's the best thing you'll ever eat all year. All right, number four, the only restaurant from New York City, Samia in Brooklyn. Samia is a very intimate tasting menu only restaurant that is not vegetarian, but does some of the most interesting things with vegetables that 
I've ever encountered. I think what they're saying these days is vegetable forward. And and it's and it's, this is just like a, a counter, correct? Another one of these counter restaurants. 18 seats, U-shaped, U-shaped counter. Yeah. Jinx. $75, a bunch of courses. The bread course comes like course six. Uh, that's amazing. The desserts. Again, it's they're not husband and wife, but they're a couple. It's hard to work in a restaurant, I think. And that's why there's so many couples now working in restaurants, because if not, they're not going to see each other, yeah. probably. Uh, this is, again, I think a quintessential Bon Appetit pick in a lot of ways. Like, you know, small Brooklyn, kind of quirky, does one thing and does it really well. This is the reason that I go out to dinners, because I can't get that food at home. I can't make that food at no, home. exactly. You know? Uh, but if you are French, you might be able to make the food in restaurant number three, Petitois in Los Angeles. So this is uh, Ludo Lefebvre's restaurant. Uh, you might recognize him from TV. This is basically his ode to the bistro uh, that he grew up with in Paris. Yeah, um, just from- s- Again, super small. Um, it's in a strip mall next to his other restaurant, Trois Mecs, Trois which, Mecs. Is, which is a lot more sort of modern, creative, ambitious cooking. And this, this is just classic, you know... French onion soup, chocolate mousse. The best baguette uh, yeah. that this woman makes for him in her home. It's totally legal. Don't worry about it. Uh, just really transporting. Uh, like I say in the story, you can almost see the Eiffel Tower from your seat at the bar. Except you look out the window and you're actually looking at some like smog inspection little... It like, is a yeah, gas station. Like, gas station it across the street. Uh, but yeah, very LA. All right, two more to go. Number two, also in Los Angeles. Talk to me about Justa. Well, it's the kind of place that if our office were out there, we would all eat there for lunch every single day. It's a juice bar. It's a deli. They smoke their own fish. They have all their own, you know, uh, meats that they smoke also for their sandwiches. There's a bakery. They're making baklava croissants. They're doing everything, and they're doing everything amazingly well. It's almost absurd. It's it's it's. This is actually the cover of our, our issue with like this panoply of these amazingly beautiful dishes all kind of splayed across the cover and like everything from soups to salads to breads to pastries to smoked brisket to smoked salmon to it's like wow they do all that all right we are finally here the number one best new restaurant in america from san francisco california al's place al's place what is al's place there's no al People think there's an Al. Al stands for the chef, uh, Aaron London, A-L. He cooked at Ubuntu in uh, in Napa. Um, I've been tracking his career for a while and I've been waiting for this place to open. Uh, because Ubuntu is a, let's talk about Ubuntu for a second. It's a very seminal restaurant It was in terms of its influence, Yeah, correct? it was the, I was the first destination vegetarian restaurant like that a meat eater would go and be happy. Yeah. Won a Michelin star. Yeah. Actually won two Michelin stars. Uh, and then, so it closed and Aaron spent three years and he's one of the more fascinating chefs that I've ever encountered. Um, read the story. It's it, it's fascinating. He Cooking saved him, basically, as he said. He would either be in jail um, or on the street somewhere if it was, or dead, he said. Yeah, this, is, this is him talking. This is him talking. And he's an intensely passionate and focused chef who that focus and sort of intensity translates to his food, which is beautiful and meticulous and labor intensive. And talk about the food in the restaurant. Yeah, so it's it kind of looks like a place, if you've ever been to the Greek islands, like the the setting is kind of light and bright and breezy and, and, and uh, blue and orange are his favorite colors. And he did everything to open this restaurant. He put tape down on the floor where he wanted every chair to go. He's an obsessive dude. 
and his food, like take French fries, for instance. They're not just French fries. They're, they're, they're potatoes that have been brined for 96 hours. They're, they were inoculated, fermented with cabbage leaves. Then he double fries them and he doesn't just serve them with ketchup. He serves them with this kind of brined pickle apple butter. So everything, and it, you know, everything has this story to it, the dishes, all the ingredients. And he just, it doesn't matter to that you know this, but it, it only enhances the experience. His salad, for instance, is the most gorgeous salad I've ever, I've ever had. And he's, again, uh, similar to Samia, this is also a sort of vegetable-forward restaurant, correct? It is. So, yeah, the primarily the entire menu is some fish, mostly vegetables, and then there's usually three or four sides. Instead of the sides being vegetables, they're protein, so yeah. they're meat. And you get smaller portions, but you don't even notice. It's one of those things where you're just, you know, a lot of the dishes are vegan. What I, what I love about this restaurant, which so many restaurants you see now in America, um, the, the caliber of food is off the charts, yet the restaurant itself is pretty relaxed. There's bistro towels for, for napkins. There are no uh, placemats or tablecloths. Um, it's a pretty relaxed, sort yeah, I mean, of this easygoing is, vibe. This is... This is the new fine dining, you know. The food is just as good as what you'd get with a white tablecloth restaurant at half the cost. I mean, there's no dish on Al's menu that's over $19 unless it's a special. And that's, you know, there's more effort goes into this than most of your fancy schmancy places. All right, so there's your hot 10, guys. Your best new restaurants in America, topped off by Al's Place in San Francisco. You can check out this list on bonappetit.com, or you can pick up the gorgeous September issue of Bon Appetit. But before we let you go, we're going to do our version of the lightning round. All right, guys? I always like Yeah, the lightning round. Um, No, and you go first. Best and worst thing you ate while researching this issue. You got to be honest. The best thing I ate was the Bing bread from Parachute in Chicago. All right, and the worst dish you had all year, Andrew? Uh, it, was, it was the worst dish because I thought the restaurant was going to be in the top 10. Hmm. And it was a restaurant in Philadelphia. I'm not going to say the name because I'm not mean like that. But it was just overwrought, you know, twe- tweezer food at its worst. By tweezer food, I mean literally... You know, it takes 10 minutes to plate this dish and then you- With tweezers. With tweezers. And then you have no idea how to eat it. It was just, it was a mess. All right, Kramer, best and worst things you ate during your research? I'm going to say the best thing I ate is not even from a restaurant that's in the hot 10. It was (laughs) the cheeseburger at Fred's Meat and Bread at Crog Street Market. Seriously, the best burger I've ever had in my life. Wow. You just say that and it makes me hungry. I'm, I'm hungry right now. Well, you should look at the picture. Oh. Is it like a crispy griddle burger or grilled burger? Griddle burger, all yeah. the way. A oh. grilled burger would never no, be the best I thing I ate. We need to talk about that. That's a whole other podcast. Um, and the worst thing you ate? Well, the most disappointing meal I had was, I'm not going to name the restaurant, but everything was covered in edible flowers. I hate edible flowers. I'm just going to say that. It's just like, what is the point? I was like, oh, yeah, they're pretty, but they don't taste like, do they really taste like anything? They don't really taste like anything. And then when they do, you're like, oh, yeah, I totally wanted to put some perfume on my food. Yeah, you don't want to eat potpourri. The flowers at Al's Place on their salad, they do taste like something. I usually agree with you guys. I can't defend flowers, but these, I think, work. Okay, next question. Knowlton, the coolest restaurant bathroom you encountered? Oh, that's easy. That was Samia in in Brooklyn. Really? Why? So you walk in and there's a there's a mirror or a window 
So it, it ends up being a one-way mirror. So as you, you're doing your business, <laughs> you're watching cooks cook your meal. Then you start to question like, well, maybe they can see me. Like they're looking at me <laughs> and right now. And they just now, don't care. And they don't care because they're just plating. So that's like the trippiest, I'll tell you <laughs> that. Awesome. Especially if you had a little wine, then you walk in there. Ooh. Kramer, your favorite restaurant bathroom. Oh, I have to come up with another bathroom? Yeah. Um, How about the gray? Oh, the gray is a restaurant in Savannah, Georgia. It used to be a Greyhound bus terminal. The person who took it over restored it with incredible attention to how it used to look and how the building used to function. And the bathrooms, because this was a bus terminal in the South, the bathrooms were segregated. And so there were um, bathrooms for people of color on one floor, and then there were bathrooms for white people on another floor. And what they did at the Gray is they don't, they're not like, making it into a museum, but in the area where these um, bathrooms for people of color were, they put these incredible black and white photos from this Savannah Baptist church in the 70s or something um, all over, and they talk about the history of the space. And I, I mean, yeah, I got up to the bathroom and I was like, I got back to the table and I'm like, oh my God, everyone needs to go to wow. the bathroom right now and look at this. That's awesome. Like bathroom as history lesson. Yeah. Uh, very cool. All right. Knowlton, best dessert you had all year. Best dessert. I'm not I'm not a dessert guy. I usually like a dessert that comes in a rocks glass and is brown and <laughs> it's called whiskey. Um, but I would say this year was a at, at San Francisco in San Francisco, uh, at a place called Liho Liho Yacht Club. Um, which is a, instead of a baked Alaska, it's called a baked Hawaiian. And it's this kind of meringue thing that's toasted on top. And then on the inside is a, kind of a mango sorbet. I'm not usually that, but there's something about this dessert, especially after you have s- somewhat heavy food that they, they serve. Liho Liho is on the top 50, but that was probably my favorite dessert. Kramer, you got one? It's so hard to choose. I'm literally the opposite of Andrew. If I don't have dessert at dinner, like what's what's the point? You throw a tantrum. Just don't <laughs> yeah. just don't say that one dessert because I will laugh you out of this. I'm gonna podcast. say it. I'm gonna what say it. it. What is it? Great. I want to hear it. I had an incredible. Actually, I had three incredible desserts at this restaurant called Heyday, which is one of the 50 nominees. And where is that? It's in Minneapolis. And the one dessert that sounds so weird but was so good was a sunchoke sundae. Ooh. So what, explain that to me. Well, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, sudden choke ice cream. It had like crispy, thinly sliced, maybe fried, I don't remember, sudden chokes on top. They had some sort of like yogurt. How many drinks had you had had this point? This was the first restaurant of three <laughs> that I went to that night. I was very sober and I thought this was sounded so terrible and tasted so good. I wish I could reproduce it for you guys right here so you could try well, it. Well, we will pass, but that's an interesting answer. <laughs> I have a, one final question. When you guys when you guys are on your research missions, do you travel around with those little mini travel packs of Tums in your bags? Not many. I have a whole big, big jar of them. Big jar of them? Yeah. <laughs> Kramer? No, I just cry. You just cry. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to our special Hot 10 episode of the Bon Appetit Foodcast. That's Joya Kramer. And that's Andrew Knowlton. Thanks very much. Tune in next time. 
This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.